Jeremiah 6, 15 and 16. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We appreciate so much the opportunity to be together tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth. I appreciate Taylor reading our scripture again tonight. We're very thankful for all of our young people. As I said earlier today, we have a great group of young people. Tonight we met at 5 o'clock. We had an excellent turnout. and We're very proud of the spiritual progress that they're making. And we want to encourage all of them to stay tonight for a period of fellowship immediately following our worship service. We'll have uh, food for them and they'll have time to spend with their friends. We're going to be looking tonight at Jeremiah chapter 6. The theme of our study tonight, pleading to a nation out of control. I would imagine that all of us, if we were to sum up the condition of our nation as it currently is, we would probably say that it is a nation out of control. Our nation has drifted morally, judicially, and spiritually. And so there is a need in our day and time to plead to the people that comprise this nation to turn to the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 6, we find the prophet speaking of the spiritual condition of God's people. Jeremiah began prophesying on the eve of Babylonian captivity. And basically, the prophet spoke of how God's people had forsaken him. He went on to say in chapter 2 at verse 32 that they had forgotten him days without number. And so in our study tonight, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the charge or indictment leveled against the people of God. None of us likes the thought of being indicted. And yet, God's people, the very people whom he had called out of Egypt, cultivated into a great nation, given them his great and mighty law, these people had unfortunately turned their back upon him. And so he levels an indictment against them. And he sums up their spiritual crimes. First of all, they had a problem with what you and I would call verity or truth. And really there are two things that the prophet sums up concerning their problem with truth. Number one, he said, they failed to delight in the Word of God. Look, if you would, at verse 10 of chapter 6. The prophet said, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the Word of the Lord is a reproach to them. Now listen to him. They have no delight in it. Now what you need to understand is these people had been the recipients of the law of God. 
God's word had been entrusted into their care. Paul states in Romans chapter 3 that one of the advantages of the Jews was that they had been entrusted with the oracles of God. In verse 2, God had given them a law. When He brought them forth out of Egyptian, Egyptian bondage, He said, You have seen what I did unto them when I brought them out of Egyptian bondage. He said, I bore them on eagles' wings and brought them unto Myself. He entered into a covenant relationship with them. He said, if they would obey His voice and keep His covenant, then He would be unto them, or rather they would be unto Him a peculiar nation, a very special people. God gave them His law. This law was both vertical and horizontal in nature. Vertically speaking, it dealt with their relationship to God. Horizontally, their relationship to one another. And yet, the very people to whom the law had been given... The Bible now says they found no delight in it. Hosea, who wrote some 100 plus years earlier than Jeremiah, Hosea talked about the spiritual condition of God's people. In chapter 4 at verse 6, he said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In chapter 8 at verse 12, he said, I have given unto them the great things of my law, and yet they were counted as a strange thing. And so... These people failed to delight in the Word of God. But then also, Jeremiah said they falsely declared the Word of God. Drop down if you would and note verse 13 in chapter 6. He said, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Now back in chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, Jeremiah said, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear witness by their own means, and the people, he said, love to have it so. In other words, the prophets of old, they simply accommodated the wishes of the people. Do you think that the people of God wanted to hear that they were about to be swept away into 70 years of Babylonian captivity? Absolutely not. And so what were they saying in that day and time. Well, they were saying, peace, peace, according to verse 15. And yet Jeremiah said, there is no peace. They had a false sense of comfort. And there are people today, unfortunately, that when it comes to the Word of God, they do not want to hear the pure, unadulterated truth of Almighty God. I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16. When he asked the question, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Jeremiah told these people the truth. He told them what they needed to hear. And yet, they did not want to hear the very word of Almighty God. And so the first thing they had a problem with was verity or with truth. But then secondly, they had a problem with values. That is there was a decline in their values. Well, you might ask the question, what kind of values are you talking about? Well, just back up and look at chapter 4 for a moment. Take, for example, what Jeremiah said in chapter 4 at verse 22. He said, my people are foolish. He said, they have not known me. They are silly or foolish children. He said, they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. 
but to do good, they have no understanding. Well, what was the problem? Well, they were languishing in confusion. They were spiritually confused. They were wise to do evil, but as the prophet said, to do good, they had no understanding. One of the problems that, that people have sometimes when they divorce themselves from the Word of God is they become spiritually adrift. That's what happened to these people. When you say no to the Word of God, when you close the truth of Almighty God, well, ultimately you're going to have problems. And your value system is going to suffer. That's, that's what happened to these people. Instead of having a concise set of values, instead of understanding and being able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and error, these people were confused. Now, we talk about the relevancy of the Word of God, particularly the prophets. I'm convinced that the Word of God is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. The Bible was penned by about 40 different inspired authors over a period of about 1,500 years, comprising 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And every book in the Word of God is contemporary. Every book is relevant. As a matter of fact, when we talk about Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet. And yet what he had to say certainly hits home with us today, particularly in our nation. That's why when Paul wrote in Romans 15 verse 4, he could say whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We can learn from looking back to the Old Testament, from looking at the Word of God. Someone has said on one occasion, if there's anything we've ever learned from history, it is that we haven't learned from history. Now you just think about that. When you look back at history and you see the rise and fall of kingdoms and nations of people, and you see why they fail, it ought to be a warning to, the, to us today. It ought to be something that would cause us to reflect upon our own spiritual condition. But these people were confused. Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote some 750 years before Jesus came into the world. Isaiah pronounced a woe on those. As a matter of fact, we talk about what he said in chapter 5 at verse 20. Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Again, same problem these, had, these people had. They were confused, spiritually speaking. How could these people that had been the very recipients of the Word of God been confused? Now, look at our nation today. I would imagine that just about every household has at least one copy of the Bible. And yet, for all intents and purposes, we are a nation adrift. So many people in our nation today are biblically illiterate. We have the Word of God. We have access to this book. We enjoy the great freedoms of this country. God has lavished upon us so many blessings. And yet, Many of us have taken these blessings for granted. All right, look again at Jeremiah chapter 6. Not only were these people languishing in confusion, but the prophet said they were living 
in covetousness. Look, if you would, at verse 12. Again, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. Now, Paul equates covetousness in Ephesians chapter 5 to idolatry. And we don't typically equate covetousness and idolatry together, but that's what the inspired writer said. Those who are covetous will literally do whatever it takes to get what they want. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 at verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You can go back and you can read prophets like Amos. And Amos chided the people of God because, in a sense, they had become covetous. And because of their covetous practices, they were oppressing the poor. Is it not the case that in this country we have ridden a wave of prosperity for many, many years? And now we talk about the landscape of our country dramatically changing. One of the problems that we're facing today, we talk about a nation out of control. One of the problems in our nation is economics. Our nation is upside down economically. And there are some very fundamental reasons for that. And one of the reasons is simply this. We have spent more than we have made. We have cast our eyes upon things that we could not afford. And we have gone head over heels in debt, and thus we are paying the price. As the fellow said on one occasion, the rooster has come home to roost. We're paying the price. These people were covetous. And covetousness is a real problem in our society today. Thirdly, they lacked a conscience. Now we talk about the conscience of man. This innate ability to know right and wrong. Now I understand that a conscience has to be safely guided. And the safest guide is the Word of God. These people had the Word of God. These people were to have known right from wrong. And yet what happened? Well, as I said a moment ago, they failed to delight in the Word of God. Once you divorce yourself from the Word of God, you're going to find yourself mired in spiritual problems. Well, you may ask the question, what kind of problems? Well, you become dull to right and wrong, good and evil. Look, for example, what Jeremiah says in verse 15. In verse 15, Jeremiah asks the question, were they ashamed when they committed these abominations. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Those of us who have reared children or who are in the process of rearing children, there have been times, and maybe there are times in your life right now, when your child will do something, or maybe your child has done something in the past. And all it has taken is a glance in their direction, and their head will begin to drop. Why? Because they know they did something they shouldn't have done. And sometimes when children do what is wrong and they are asked, did you do that? Is that what you said? They'll blush. And they'll say, and they'll say yes, I did that. 
Or, yes, I said that. Well, Jeremiah asked the question, were these people ashamed when they committed abomination? Here's what he said. No. No, they were not at, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Can you imagine people becoming so insensitive to the Word of God? Insensitive to right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. That they just have no sense of decency, no sense of morality. When Jeremiah asked the question, were they ashamed when they committed these abominations, his answer was a resounding no. No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Now let me ask this question. When's the last time you've seen somebody blush in our society? Today I was talking to Michael and Anna Olney. And we were talking about how television has evolved in the last 25 to 30 years. I can remember back in the 70s, the program that began, at least in my mind, pushing the envelope was all in the family. And how they began to push the envelope, they would use profanity from time to time. Archie Bunker would. I never will forget, Archie Bunker on one occasion took the Lord's name in vain. When he did that, my folks said, that's enough. We're not watching it anymore. They were through with it. Now, looking back to the 70s, and looking at programs like All in the Family compared to what is being shown today, it's tame. I mean, at, at, at worst, it's PG and probably G. I mean, just think about it. We have, we have become so desensitized to what we hear, to what we see, to what we watch or read, that, that we, we don't even think anything about it anymore. Years ago when Gone with the Wind came out and one curse word created pandemonium. One word. Let me tell you, if you had a movie with only one curse word today, it would be rated G for general audiences. Everybody can go. But the point is, we've, evolved, we've changed. And that's how, that's, how, that's how the devil operates. He doesn't bring in wholesale change overnight. It's not, it's not something that occurs within the span of 24 hours. But over a period of time, we are so inundated with this stuff that before you know it, we accept it and don't even realize it. Now Jeremiah asked, were they ashamed when they committed these abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. I think about some of the programs on television today and some of the, the language that's used in 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 our society, whether it be in the office or on the ball field or in school or wherever. 
there, there was a day and time, and, and I guess I've said this before, there was a day and time when if a man cursed in the presence of a woman, he would say, excuse me. From what I can tell, a lot of women can outcuss men. I, I mean, they give sailors a run for their money. And that's no reflection on sailors, but it's, it's just the truth. Guys and girls, men and women, have no problem using bad language. And so, over a period of time, our senses, our spiritual senses, become dull. And that's what happened to these people. And so, here's the verdict. The verdict that has been handed down by Almighty God is punishment. Now, over in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 21 at verse 13, God said in the long ago, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, turning it upside down. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. You think about God telling His own people, I'm going to punish you. And I'm going to literally turn you upside down. Did God have the power to do that? Absolutely. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is pleading to these people. As a matter of fact, if you read in the book of Jeremiah, the first three or four chapters, you'll see him asking the people to simply acknowledge their transgressions. Just come clean with what you've done. Far too many people live in denial. But, in light of the verdict, and that being punishments on the horizon, they were about to go away into 70 years of captivity, and God did take them into captivity under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They spent 70 years in a foreign land. And through the edict of Cyrus in about 539 or 536 B.C., God allowed them to begin returning home. And it was then that they began to rebuild the temple. Work on the temple ceased for about 16 years. Haggai and Zechariah were called upon to stir the people up. They began finishing the project that they had once started. 516 B.C., the temple was completed. But nonetheless, these people were swept away into Babylonian captivity. But now the cure... Note, if you would, the invitation in verse 16. In verse 16, here's what the prophet said on behalf of God. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Here's the challenge. Examine the possibilities. I think about people coming up to a crossroads. Maybe you're driving in your car and you come up to a point in the road where you can either go to the right or to the left. You have to make a choice. You have to examine the possibilities. And really, that's what Jeremiah is saying. Stand in the way and see. There are times in life when we need to spiritually reflect upon where we are. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 at verse 5, examine yourselves. When's the last time you took spiritual inventory of your life? When's the last time you sat down and analyzed your life in light of the Word of God? Jeremiah said, stand in the way and see. But then know what he says. And ask for the old paths where the good way is. Here's the charge. Embrace the old paths. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, 
Jeremiah said, It's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. You and I and people of every age are unable to safely guide our way through earth or through life. What we need is a divine standard. We need the old paths and in, in our day and time what we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need truth to guide us. The psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. Here are some things that you and I need to consider concerning God's way. Number one, God's way, according to the prophet, is the good way. Now that infers that there is a bad way. They were on the wrong road. They were headed in the wrong direction. And they were ultimately going to pay for what they had done. Which brings to mind what Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You and I have to understand that whatever we sow in life, we're going to reap, whether it's good or evil. Well, what we want to do is make the choice to do what's right. We want to follow the good way. I can promise you this. If you'll follow the good way, which is God's way, you will never be dis disappointed. God's way is not only a good way, but it is a gracious way. Sometimes people have the idea that grace is a term only used in the New Testament, but grace is found in both the Old and New Testaments. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God was very gracious to His people. You can read of the history of the Israelite people, and you can see time and again God dealing with them in a very gracious and good way. God today is a very gracious God. And you and I would be well served to reflect upon His graciousness. But then thirdly, God's way is not only a good way, not only is it a gracious way, but I suggest unto you it is a great way. It is superior to every other way of life. Think about all of the people in our society. Think about all of the people that live right here in this county that are trying to somehow plot their own course in this life and they're trying to map out a life. The only problem is they've left God out of their plans. If you want to choose the greatest way of life, I can assure you it is God's way. Let me give you a case point. Look at the life of Solomon. If you want to look at the life of a man that had it all, I mean had everything, look at his life. Solomon got to try it all. He was powerful. He was prestigious. He was a man that was extremely wealthy. He was wise beyond compare. This guy had it all. And yet Solomon came to the conclusion that God's way and God's way alone is the only course to follow in life. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I think about students in, in a math class. And they're tallying up the totals. That's what, Solomon is, that's what Solomon is doing. He is tallying up the summation of life. And here's what he said. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man. This is the whole of life. The whole sphere of our existence 
is to fear God and keep His commandments. That's what life is all about. It is the greatest possible way to live. And I would encourage all of us to follow that way. And then finally, I would suggest it is the golden way. There are people in our world today, they're looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're banking on the here and now. They're living for what this world has to offer right now. There are a lot of people in our society today, it's all about what can you do for me today or tomorrow or next week or next year. They give no thought to eternity. But here's what Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's way is not just the greatest way, it is the golden way. And here's what Jesus said in connection with the golden way. You want to talk about a pot at the end of the rainbow? Here's what the Savior said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yes, God's way is the good way. It's the gracious way. It is the great way. And it is the golden way. But then finally, look at what Jeremiah said. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk in it. If you want to be successful in life, Jeremiah is saying, you search out, you find the old paths and you walk in them. Why? Here's the comfort. He said, you'll find rest for your souls. You'll enjoy peace. They can enjoy peace and pardon. Here's what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. There is no rest for the wicked. That's what Isaiah said. But there is rest when you and I choose to live for the Lord. Now I want to close by reading for you what the people said. Now, I want you just to imagine, here is the prophet pleading with this nation out of control. And Jeremiah is saying, what you need to do, stand in the way and see and ask for the old past wherein is the good way and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Here's what the people said. We will not walk in it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God being so good and gracious to these people? Jeremiah asked the question on behalf of God back in chapter 2. What iniquity have you found in me that you've gone far from me? What had God ever done to deserve the ill treatment that He received from His people? Not one thing. These people had become so calloused in their heart of hearts that they said, we're not going to walk in the old past, they rejected the Lord. Our nation is out of control. My prayer is that our nation will ultimately see the course it's on and turn to God. I said this morning, we need to be praying for our nation. 
We have the answer to the ills of our nation. It's the gospel. It's the Bible. And we need to be preaching and teaching this message. But there are a lot of people in our, in our society today, there are a lot of people in our world today, presented with the truth, they, like the people of Jeremiah's day, will tell you, we're not going to walk in that way. We're not going to be satisfied with God's ways. But there are people that will. I believe that there are honest and good hearts in our society. There are people in our society today that given the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will do that. They just need the opportunity. What we need to do is plead with people. I want to see our nation change its course. I do not know whether or not it will. I hope and pray that we make a turn. But we've, we've come a long way in the past 30 to 40 years. And sometimes it's difficult for people to back up. I, like many of you, watch the news every night. And every night on television, every time you pick up the commercial appeal, what do you read about? Murder, bloodshed, adultery, covetous practices, fraudulent practices, dishonesty, etc., etc., is that new? No, it's not. When Hosea wrote in Hosea chapter 4, he said, The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God. And so he said, As a result of all of that, there is naught or nothing but swearing, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery. He said, They break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Listen, when people abandon the Lord and the Word of the Lord, it's a downhill race after that. That's why we have the problems that, that, that we see being reflected in our society today because people have left what the Bible has to say. They've left that behind. They've turned a deaf ear to it. This is the cure for the ills of our nation. It was the cure to the people of Jeremiah's day. They said, we will not walk in it. The question is, what will we say? Will we live for the Lord? Or will we choose to live for ourselves? It may be that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. What we want to do is encourage you to come to Christ. You see, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is interested in you individually. The Bible tells us God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 at verse 4. What would you need to do? Well, you need to believe that He is the Son of God. John 8, 24. You must repent of every sin. Acts 2 verse 38. You need to confess His name before others. Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible says you need to be baptized or immersed in water to wash away your sins. Acts 22, verse 16. When you do that, the Lord will then add you to the church. Acts 2, 47. All spiritual blessings will then be given to you. Ephesians 1, verse 3. You'll, you'll be a member of the church, the redeemed, the cleansed. And the exhortation, be faithful till death. Revelation 2, 10. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could we encourage you to come home? 
Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? Would you do so as we stand and sing?